0: So I was uh, I was in sixth grade. Picture the awesomeness that was the sixth grade me, and, uh, and uh, I decided to join the track and field cross country team. I'd had some success playing basketball that year, and started to figure, well, I guess I'm just awesome at everything. So why don't I play all the sports? And so I jumped in on the cross country team. And it was my first race. I never, didn't really know what cross-country racing was. I just knew what racing was, so object of the game is to get to the finish line first. And so I remember it clear as day. It was early spring. The sun was shining bright. We were in Fredericton, and uh, it was so bright. I remember like the early spring, how bright the sun is. It's either the sun or the vitamin D-deficient legs, one or the other, but it was super bright. And I remember everyone's getting ready for the race and, and the, we're at the starting line and I'm kind of down getting ready, getting ready to go, right, in, my, in my, my ready position and waiting for the thing to start. And it didn't occur to me that no one else was, was, was on, on the kind of starting gate like this, but that didn't matter, they're losers anyway, so I was about to win. And I had one thing on my mind, victory. I wanted the medal and these were the good old days when you didn't get medals for participating. Back when winners were awarded and losers were humiliated, the good old days, right? No, come on. Actually, my, my son this weekend, he had his basketball jamboree. It was the first time in his basketball career, he's eight, that he didn't get a medal for participating. It brought his dad a lot of joy. Uh, so all was right in the world. And so I'm down on the starting line, and they start the, start the race, and we all take off. But I took off like a shot. I am out in front of everybody, just huffing it, leaving people in my dust, full-on sprint. And I am out there 100 meters, 200 meters, just flying like Usain Bolt could not have caught me, probably could have. But I'm just going for it, and I'm leaving everybody in my dust. And I'm coming up to the first bend, and I figure that when I get around that bend over that little hill, I'm gonna see the sign that says finish. And so I come up over that bend, and to my shock and horror, there was no sign of finished in sight. In fact, there was just another long stretch that went into a stretch of trees. And so I'm starting to think, what kind of race is this? Who moved the finish line? And so uh, nonetheless, I, I doubled my resolve and tried even harder and put the hammer down. I'm still way out in front of everybody. And so I'm like, all right, well, it's obviously through the trees. And I'm, I'm starting to slow down by the time I get to the tree line. I'm, my sprints now become a bit of a jog. And I'm getting into the tree line. I'm starting to run through the woods. And then woof, that skinny kid that's homeschooled flies by me. You know the kid who's was eating quinoa and like his parents drove a Volvo and had a canoe on the top? That kid, he just flew by me. And then another kid and another and they just start flying by me. And then it's the whole like the big blob of kids just start flying by me. And I'm now gone from a jog to a brisk speed walk. And then by the end of it, I mean, I started to realize that there's no end in sight. That this race is going to be longer than what I'd anticipated and I can't win this. And once I determined that I can't win this, I just kind of started walking. And I'm pretty sure that it was me and my buddy whose, whose mom had made him join cross-country because he needed the exercise. Uh, it was he and I walking across the finish line together. Um, it was that feeling, though, I remember that feeling of discouragement when reality crept in that this is a race that is never-ending, that I don't see the finish line. I don't see the the line that's going to finally let me just breathe and relax and catch my breath again. And I was thinking about that as we jump into our topic today because I think that's how a lot of us feel in life, that we get out in this race in life and we get kind of running the race of career and running the race of family and running the race of just being a human. And it's not much different than my adventure in cross-country running. You get out there... Thinking that certain things, that the finish line is going to be just up around that turn. You know what I'm saying? Like you, maybe you went, to, you went to university and you're like, I'm going to be this. And you went and you got your education. You figured, you know what? I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get married. I'm going to get a house. I'm going to get my career. And then when I have those things, ah, I can relax. Yep. And then you find out, hey, who moved the finish line? Because I got to where I thought I, was, I would see the finish and it's not there. Or, or maybe for you is, you know, I just, I, I want to be a mom. I'm going to find Mr. Right. He's going to be awesome. He's never going to annoy me. He's going to be perfect. And we're going to have kids, and I'm going to be barefoot and pregnant, and that's going to bring, then I can just relax and enjoy my life. And you get to that point, and you realize, quite hilariously, actually, I, I'm going to have kids, and then I can relax. <laughs> and you realize that the finish line is just not out there. And you start to wonder, this race of life, like where, where is that line, that line that says finished, where you can just breathe? We have never lived in a time in human history where people are more exhausted, more discouraged, more anxious, more afraid, more run down, than we do right now, than they are right now. We have never lived in a time in human history where people have been running farther, faster. People, people in, in all of human history, no one has, the, the pace of human culture has never run this far, this fast, and this long. Things have changed. The the world that we live in, like the exhaustion level, the absolute weariness that so many of us face in life is at an all-time high. I think there's some reasons for that. One reason would definitely be that, like never before, there's a lot of economic and job insecurity. That, that jobs that were once reliable now aren't reliable anymore. The landscape shifts, and the moment that your job doesn't produce what it needs to, it's no longer, it no longer exists. So there's a lot of insecurity that comes from the workplace. There's a lot of wage inequity. And let me tell you, in wage inequity, you're, you're mistaken if you think that it's only your economic bracket that's feeling the weight of it. Every economic bracket feels the weight of wage inequity and the tireless weight of having to go. The, the poor feel the weight of trying to make ends meet. The middle class feel the weight of trying to make ends meet. And it's a different challenge. And you know what? The people who are paid the most and the people, other than people who inherited great pots of money, and that's a very few people, the people that, that most average folks like me look at and say, oh, you've got it easy. You misunderstand. The people who are at the top have to work such an unfathomable pace to maintain their place there. It's crushing wherever you are. We now live in a time where there's a 24-hour work day. It used to be that the sun would go down and you'd be done your work for the day. Now, it doesn't matter when the sun's up or down. We are on a 24-hour news cycle, a 24-hour work cycle. Many of us have international jobs that we actually do business with people in other parts, other time zones. You can take your work wherever you go. It never leaves your side. It's actually like attached to your butt. You can never turn it off. 24-hour news cycle. And there's been a massive shift in values. It used to be that people would find their ultimate self-worth and satisfaction in social roles, in the family, they'd find it in their family relationships and their role in community, but now Now our satisfaction is actually more heavily attached to your vocation and your accomplishments. That if I accomplish this and I do this, then I will be something. We never have seen a time like this in human history. And I think because of that, we are seeing more people exhausted and burned out. Just the raw fatigue. I mean, I was with a family member this week who has experienced burnout. Someone I never thought would. People are burning out left and right. Anxiety. Is sky high, that feeling that comes from a loss of margin, depression, despair, the loss of hope, that feeling like I have when I was out there running and at some point just thinking, I can't win this race. That's what despair is it's the loss of hope. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And then we live in a time where people more than ever are taking their own lives. What's that? That's the decision that says maybe the only place I'm going to find a finish line and the only time I can catch my breath is if I lose my last. That's where that thinking, that line of thinking comes from. So here's the question I want to ask today. Where do we go with our weariness? Where do we find rest? Where's the finish line? Because if, if you, maybe you haven't lived long enough to find a few mile markers that you thought were going to be the finish line. Anybody? That's the hardest part, isn't it? The hardest part of, of my life hasn't necessarily been my failures. It's been my successes that I thought would do more for me than they did. Is that too raw? We're continuing in Mark's gospel. I've been really enjoying this because it's caused me As we just go page by page and story by story, as Mark tells us the good news about Jesus, it's caused me to preach on things and to pick passages to preach from that I just wouldn't normally pick. And today is no different. Today we we hit this topic of finding rest, and Mark puts it here right kind of at the climax of where Jesus is beginning to kind of establish who he is, what he came to do, and what it's going to mean to follow him, what he really is inviting us to. And last week, if you were with us, we looked at how how it's going to kind of shape your lives, and now we're kind of getting to this central message, and and it happens around this holy day called the Sabbath. If you have a Bible, open it to Mark chapter 2. This is going to be a great message for you to follow along and take notes, open your Bible, Mark in it. Mark in Mark. Yeah? Oh! Just if you're paying attention. A little zinger there. Mark in Mark. Some of you are like, aha! Oh, I got it. Verse 23. It says this. Here's the story, and then we'll, 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 we'll look into it. We're going to do a little Bible. Is that okay, a little Bible study today? I'm not going to stand on my head. Today, I'm going to just show you what this says, and I think you're going to find it refreshing. It says, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Have you ever read the scriptures that what David did when his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and he broke the law by eating sacred loaves, eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of Of the Sabbath. Now let's pause there. We're going to keep reading in a minute, but let's just kind of before we go any farther, let's just get into what Jesus is saying and what's going on here. Why are the the Pharisees freaking out? Why are they criticizing Jesus and his disciples? Well, Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field, and as they were walking through, the disciples were grabbing pieces of grain and they were they were actually eating it as they were going. Now, why is this a problem? Like, what's their issue? Well, for a good law-abiding Jew, they actually not only had the Torah, which gave the Ten Commandments and the law that God prescribed, but on top of the Torah, the Pharisees, scribes and scribes and teachers of the law put commentary on what it might mean when God says in, in, the, in the fifth commandment, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. They kind of colored in the lines and said, here's what it means to observe the Sabbath. It means you cannot work. And then they didn't just go there, but they defined what it means to not work and to work. And they actually had 39 different categories of work. Hardcore, right? 39 different categories. And one of those categories was reaping that you couldn't reap. You couldn't actually harvest something on the Sabbath. So when the Pharisees saw the disciples do this, they were harvesting on the Sabbath, and that's why they freaked out. They're actually breaking the Sabbath law or the interpretation of it. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to notice something before we unpack this any further. Jesus does not say that the Sabbath is not important, he begins to quote something that David did in 1 Samuel where David was in need and he, they kind of broke the, 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 the law. And he quotes that, but he does not say that you're not supposed to observe the Sabbath. Quite the contrary, he actually affirms our deep need for rest. Look what he says, verse 27. says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's the first observation. When we get talking about rest, and we get talking about finding rest, when it comes to finding rest, we must first recognize why we're tired. Recognize why we're tired. There's a key word I want you to write down, slavery. Jesus says, the Sabbath was given to address a human need. He says the Sabbath was actually given as a gift from God to meet a need that is in all people. Now, what's that need? Let's let's look back in the Bible. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, I'll have it on the screen. You probably don't, can't, unless you're like a super fast sword driller, don't worry about going back. Any, any old school church people? Sword drills? Yeah, anyway. Some of you are like, what? That's a sword drill, like when in Sunday school, the Sunday school teachers go... Turn to Leviticus 3.14 and you'd have to fly along and and the first person that got there would stand up and they're the winner. It's like, it's a contest back in the day anyway. Turn to 1 Hesitations 14.6. Hey, there's no hesitations. Genesis 1 tells us where the origin of the Sabbath came from. Look at it. You're going to see something cool here. Now just just hang with me. We're going to learn something today. Is that all right? Halifax, we good? West, We good? All right, look at this. Genesis 1, verse 31. This is at the end of the creation account. Now, if you're familiar with it at time, over and over it says God made this, and then he saw that he had made, and he called it very good. And over and over and over again, you see this. We come to the end, and it's on the sixth day. Look at this. It says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So... He rested from all his work. Maybe underline that or circle that. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now let's just pause there for a second. Why was God resting? Was God tired? No, we just read, have you not heard? He is the everlasting God. He does not grow tired or weary. So on day six, at the end of the sixth day of creation, God was not like, I need a shower and I need to watch some suits and I need to just kick back and relax. Like that's not what, what this is getting at. God was not tired. So why did God rest? Because he was done. Because there was absolutely nothing else to be done. He was truly and completely finished. I am done what I set out to do. There is nothing else to add or delete. It is perfect. And, I, and he rested. And he called it, very good. It is finished. Very good. And then he rested. And then the seventh day becomes this picture of the rest of God. And we were created, listen to this, that creation rolled out from the seventh day. So, so get this. The human experience began from a place of rest. When Adam and Eve were created, they did not wake up feeling like, oh, I gotta get to work, gotta get to work, gotta get to work. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. That, that didn't happen. Was there work? Yes. Cultivation, things that needed to be done. But there was not toil, there was no weariness. There wasn't pressure. There was no striving. They truly and completely entered into a creation that was functioning as it should in and from the place of God's rest. That's important. Now, the Bible says by Genesis 3, that shalom, that peace, that rest gets interrupted. It gets woken up. It gets broken because of what? Because of sin, because of man's disobedience. And sin enters the picture. And now all of a sudden, humanity and creation have been disconnected from the rest of God. And so we were born, all of us, since Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve too, were born into unrest. We were born into disconnection. The Bible says that God even said, here's what's going to happen you're going to work the land and you're going to toil that the land's not going to produce what it would have that, that that when you go into labor women you're going to feel pain so I'm like that came true right it's right there in Genesis 3 that 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 the the work that we were designed to do now has this toil with it because of our disconnection with God which causes weariness and so you and I are all born with this disconnection now but those same capacities inside of us that desire for God's rest the the purpose of knowing him the glory of God's presence that's still all inside of us and yet we are disconnected from it and so God begins this saving mission it begins in Genesis chapter 3 and it rolls all the way to its climax in Jesus but beginning with the people of Israel am I teaching too much you staying with me we're not going to be a dumb church We're not. We're going deep, all right? So the people of Israel became God's plan to restore and save the whole earth. And God gave this people directions on what it looks like if you're going to be my people. And he gave the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are directives. They're not, yes, it's a law, but it's more than that. It's like a a user's guide. Like these, if you are God's people, this is who you'll be. This is how you're designed to operate and one of those commandments was the fifth commandment, the commandment to keep the Sabbath. Look at it, Exodus chapter 20. It says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested, That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So the Jews, they viewed the Sabbath. One one author, a guy named Abraham Joshua Heschel, I read a great book on Sabbath. And he says that the Jews actually used to kind of see the Sabbath as their temple in time. That the temple was the place on earth they went, but the Sabbath was that day in time that they engaged with God. It was the place of reconnection. That's what the Sabbath day... It was seen as a gift. It was seen as reconnection with us and God. It's that day every week, like a rhythm, inhaling the breath of God. That's what the Sabbath was meant to be for the children of Israel. Sabbath invites us to enter God's rest. That's what the Sabbath does, and it pushes against our tendency to become slaves, it pushes against our tendency to become slaves. Look at Deuteronomy 5. One more, one more scripture. Are you with me? We're learning stuff? All right. It's fun. Learning stuff is fun. It is. Deuteronomy 5. Look, remember that you were a slave. He's talking to the children of Israel. Remember, we just prayed about God bringing the, kids, the children of Israel out of Egypt, splitting the sea and bringing them. Look at this. Remember, you were a slave. Past tense. In the land of Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you Out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That is why. That is why. That is why the Lord has commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Why? To remember I'm not a slave. Whoa. What? Why why does what does slavery have to do with rest? A slave does not get to decide I'm done. A slave does not get to decide. That's good. A slave every single day has to get up and keep going and keep going with no promise or perspective of relief, of relief. The end is not near. There is no finish line for a slave. And the Sabbath was a day of the week that God wanted his people to deliberately put down their work and rest in him. It pushed back against the weariness that his people felt when you get in this rhythm of slavery now i know this is just for the israelites and none of us would know anything about that how are we slaves a bunch of ways some of us are slaves to this idea of provision well if i can just if i can just fund my retirement and build that house then then i can relax yeah Once I get that job and then I'm going to be done that job and I'm going to move on to this job and that job is going to provide for me and allow me to be able to do what I really want. Slave. Some of us are slaves to protection. You're you're slave not necessarily to to, to accumulating wealth or, or getting things just so but you are trying to control your circumstances. You're a slave to insulate your life and a lot of us Here's, here's my tendency. We're slaves to prove ourselves. You're a slave to approval. It's not only that I want to hear that I'm done. I want to hear you say, that was awesome. You are great. We become slaves to validation. It's like Rocky. Rocky 1. Come on, people. Rocky, one of the greats. Rocky 1, arguably... As good as Rocky 4. Anyway, Rocky 1. Like he, you know, there's that scene where Stallone is like walking around the night before the big fight with Creed, and then he has a slow walk out of the empty stadium where he's gonna fight Apollo Creed, and he comes back to his little little apartment with Adrian, and Adrian's sleeping. He crawls in with Adrian. And he's laying there, and Adrian wakes up realizing that he's just laying there looking off into nothing. She's like, "What's wrong?" And he goes, "I can't, I can't, I can't win, Adrian. That's my best, my best." <laughs> and, she, and she goes, what? She, like, I, can't, I can't beat him. And, she, and he goes, but if I can go the distance, I'll know I'm not just a bum from the street. Right? <laughs> it's that slavery, though. That's what that is. It's that slavery to, to, to prove something. I, I just have to go the distance, then I'll know. But here's the problem. The problem is you, you do that thing that you thought would satisfy it, and then the next day you have to get up and that slave master's there again. Rocky 1 was not the end of the story. In fact, there was five of them. Actually, no, I think it's like 10 of them now. Stallone's still going. Like, it's, it never ends. You ever, ever found that? Like, the thing that you thought was gonna be, that's, the, I've arrived. There it is, finish line, I'm good. I can relax. We think it's coming and it never comes. That's that slavery. And Jesus is saying, you need a Sabbath. You need that Sabbath. You need to realize the deep need of your soul, that that if you left to yourself, you are going to become enslaved to satisfy the longing and need inside of your soul that was meant for God to satisfy that hunger for glory, that hunger for validation, that hunger for proximity and connection to the Most High God, that, pro- that hunger for safety, that hunger for righteousness, you are going to become a slave to all the wrong things that can never, ever, ever relieve you. And Jesus says the Sabbath was given to meet the needs of people, that God actually gave it as a gift. Look at verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus is exposing two errors here. Error number one, which I would expect, unless I have a Pharisee somewhere in the crowd, any any scribes here with us today, most of us are probably on the line of error where we don't take Sabbath. We don't set apart a day where we remind ourselves, I am not a slave. That's error number one. And Jesus says, You need, you need this. Error number two is to view the Sabbath through a lens of religion. It becomes just another form of slavery. This is what he was exposing in this, in the Pharisees, saying, Look, you, are, you have gone over this thing that God gave as a gift, and now you're calling us to serve it when that was meant to serve us. That's what Jesus was saying here. She's saying, Don't get it twisted. Jesus affirms our need. Now let's keep going. I'm going to show a couple more things. Look at verse verse 27. So Jesus says the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Don't get it twisted. Verse 28, and we'll come back to this in a minute. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Verse 1 in chapter 3. Now Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. That's that Sabbath breaker. They're watching him. Watch the swagger in Jesus right now. I love Jesus on so many levels. Swag. Watch this. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now watch this. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come stand in front of everyone. Right here. Everybody. Hey. Hey. Hey, watch. Then he said, and he turned to his critics, and he said this. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. Yeah, busted. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. It's a picture of what the Sabbath is supposed to do. The Sabbath was meant to be a tool of restoration. God gave his people the Sabbath to help us restore, to take what was withered and breathe life into it. That's what he's getting at. The Sabbath was meant for life, not for death. The Sabbath was meant to expand, not restrict. If you're writing notes, write this down. When it comes to finding rest, we must, number two, utilize the tool. Utilize the tool that is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a tool that God has given you and I to actually help us connect into that which can restore us. So a couple of things. I just want to give some real practical stuff before we're done today. Because I don't want to send you out of here thinking, well, what, how do I do that? How do I actually take Sabbath? Now, Sabbath, again, for those of you who are still fuzzy on it, it's taking a day a week and setting it apart for God. God says, set aside the seventh day for me. And now we believe that Jesus has, anyway, I don't have time to get into that. But we, we take one day a week. Take one day a week. Now, a couple things I want, to, I want you to understand about taking Sabbath. First, let me, let me just write this down here. First, there's things on an inner approach to Sabbath. What you need to think of, what you need to know, realizations. Realize, you love my handwriting. First thing, every one day a week, to pull back and to stop, and to, to just to remind yourself. I am not a slave. I have the power to say no. I have the power to say, that's good. I'm finished for today. That I'm done. We need to have a day where we, in our minds, rehearse that truth that I am not a slave. I am not a slave. I am not a slave. Second thing as far as what we need to rehearse in our minds. And this is an even bigger one, I think. I am not God. You know what the biggest revelation every time I actually, and I'll tell you what, as my wife could attest, a lot of this message is for me. A lot of this is aspirational. But when I do successfully take a day and just don't do work, I'm most beautifully reminded that the universe, don't judge me, the universe does not revolve around this guy. It is such a refreshing revelation once a week to know you know what? If I wasn't here, the world would just keep going. Everything is not going to implode. Amazing, right? Y'all looking at me like, dude, you are a sociopath. No, there's something about disconnecting that just reminds us, okay, 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 yes, I have pressures, I have things I got to do, deadlines, people depending on me, all that stuff. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a great reminder to just, you're God. I'm not. It's on you. Inner realizations. Okay, three disciplines, outer realizations. I'm hoping this is going to be helpful. I'm running out of room. And time, fun. Outer An innie and an outie. Outer approach. <laughs> oh man. Things that disciplines, like things you do when it comes to plans anyway, yeah, you got it. <laughs> things that we do, okay? So here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. Take one day. I know that two days is great. And if you, you know what? Gravy. Awesome. That's a new thing. All right? That's a thing like a Western world thing. A two-day weekend. Awesome. Take it. Enjoy. Enjoy. But when it comes to like reconnecting your soul to your creator and getting filled up and and just finding true rest, the rhythm that, that God designed humanity on is six days of work, one day of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. One day, take a day. The Jews, it was Friday evening through Saturday to Saturday evening. It's a 24-hour cycle where they just did not work. Take a day, one day a week. It doesn't even have to be, it doesn't have to be Sunday. It's not a rest day for me. At all. (laughs) I love it, but take a day, take a day. For me, it's usually Friday, usually Friday. I I shut it down. I I try try to stay off my text and my email. I just try to, to, to not go there. So take a day. Um, do it holistically. Some granolas, like, yes, essential oils and quinoa. No, 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 What do I mean by holistically? There's, the purpose of the Sabbath is to bring you, to bring you rest. It's to, it's to do and not do in such a way that it causes refreshment to come into your life. The mistake I often make is I kind of only do it with one channel. Maybe I'll binge watch something or I'll go and I'll just do like to a certain point, I'll do like house tasks, which some of you are saying that's work. No, it actually makes me feel better to mow the lawn. Actually brings, it's mindless. It brings me joy. The the trick to having a good Sabbath is to do it in a multifaceted way. It has to be avocational, not a vocational, avocational. what I mean by that? it can't it can't be the thing that you do to make bread, okay? Which for for those of us who have a job that is your passion, that's hard. You have to disconnect from your vocation. It has to be contemplative. Uh, I've failed so many times in this way where where, I haven't connected that day purposefully to God. I haven't, I haven't gone back and done this where I've, I've spent time, intentional time with the Lord. You don't have to spend the whole day on your face. I grew up in like the holiness movement where people, you couldn't do anything Sunday afternoon. Couldn't ride my bike, couldn't, couldn't watch TV. It was the worst. <laughs> Terrible. That sucked the life out of me. It did not bring life. Okay, there's a balance, though. You can't can't do the thing that that you do all week long. It's going to be avocational, it's going to be contemplative, and then mix up activity and inactivity. Rest. The purpose is to do things that fill your cup. For me, I love to fish. I love to golf. I love to mow my lawn. I love to hang out with my kids. It's that stuff. It's whatever you can do that says work can wait. That's the point. One more thing. Uh, And this one is for me and for probably the rest of you. Be accountable. Uh, There are seasons where it's just not going to work. And there are seasons, and I think God sets us free from religion, where we have to like, no, I can't lift a finger on the Sabbath. No, no, there are seasons. Sometimes there there are weeks where I work seven days and I didn't get a break. And sometimes there are seasons where it gets a little crazy. And you know what? It's okay if it's a season. It's not okay if it's a pattern. And if it's something that happens every single week. And so you need someone in your life that actually can look at you and say, you said it was going to be two weeks. A lot of of wives going like this right now. Yeah, you, you said it was going to be two weeks. You said it was going to be a busy season. You need somebody. You need a communal approach that helps you understand to be objective so that some of you who are like workaholics and addicts, you need someone else that can look in and say, hey, uh, you, gonna, you gonna stop anytime this month? You need somebody who can do that. Okay, one more, one more thought. I'm gonna be done. This is the most important. When it comes to finding rest, so utilize the tool, realize, realize your need, utilize the tool. Number three, recognize the truth. Recognize the truth. The reality is, you and I need a deeper rest than what even taking a day off can do. It's possible to take a whole day off of your week to get all the rest. You can go on vacation. You can do all the stuff that fill your cup and your soul still be empty. Vacation cannot fill your soul. A day off cannot fill your soul. There is something greater that you have to plug into. Something more than just unplugging from your life, there's something else. This is why, like, it, it, I was thinking about this. It's similar to how we sleep. How many of you know that to be rested in your body, it's not just about getting eight hours of sleep. It's eight hours of quality sleep, right? You need that REM. There's a depth. There's a, there's a, there's a certain level of sleep you need to be rested. It's the same way in your soul. There is a depth of rest we have to connect to for our souls to find true rest. There's something deeper, someone deeper we have to find. Look back at verse 25. I love this. Jesus says, have you ever read the scripture? What David did when he and his companions were hungry. He went into the house of God during the days of Abiathar, when he was the high priest, and he broke the, broke the law. David broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not to meet the pe- not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. This, here it is. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying? What is he getting at? So he's telling the story about the time that David broke the law. And he's saying that there was something greater. There was a greater need affecting David, which meant... Now, why didn't Jesus, like, rebuke David in this moment? Or why did nobody rebuke David in this moment? Because, think about this, it meant that the circumstances that David was under and the mission and the thing that God was accomplishing through him was greater in such a way that it rendered that system provisional. How else do I say it? Um, Jesus is effectively saying this. I am the fulfillment of, of that which the Sabbath points to. That I am, I am Lord of the Sabbath, meaning I am the, the fulfillment. I am the fulfillment of the, the thing that the, the Sabbath and all the rituals thereof are pointing toward. It's me. It's actually in me. The thing that the Sabbath is meant to push us toward, I'm the end game, is what Jesus is saying. I am the fulfillment. I am the fulfillment. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, what is he he doing? He's inviting you to find your rest in him. And then he goes and he heals the guy with the withered hand, proving his authority. And then the Bible says, if we had time, that the Pharisees started to plot how they were going to kill him. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and he becomes Lord of the Sabbath where? On the cross. What was Jesus accomplishing on the cross? What was happening when Jesus is there hanging on the cross and the Bible says he's taking on all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our dysfunction, all of our falling short of the goal. He's taking on all of our burdens, all of our weariness, all of our striving. He's taking it all on. And the Bible says that it was like getting on in the day and he was, had been hanging there and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening at that moment? At that moment, Jesus was, was taking on himself. Think about this. Eternal, infinite restlessness. No one in human history had ever been more disconnected and farther away from God, the source of life and rest. In that moment on the cross, that's what Jesus was doing. The Bible says that It became about the time, and then Jesus, with his last breath, cried out what? It is finished. And he died. And he rises again. What is the cross for us? It's that place where we finally hear, it's it's finished. This is the finish line. This is the spot. It's that place. That's, it's the place where Jesus cries out, it is finished. And then here's, here's the crazy thing about the gospel. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that, that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin. He placed all of our sinfulness, all of our shortcomings on him so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. What does that mean? When Jesus cried, it is finished. He he took on our sin and he placed on his righteousness on us. So, So watch this. When Jesus cries, It is finished, that means that my sin is finished, that my shame is finished, that my shortcomings is finished, that my worry can be finished, that my striving can be finished. And in that moment, when I stand in Christ, guess what? I stand in the, and God saw all that he had made and he said, It is very good. Do you know what happens to your soul when it, when, it, when it really hears it is finished and God sees all that he has made and he sees him and he sees her and he says, it's very good. That's what Jesus was doing. When you put your faith in Jesus, the gospel is us stepping into the rest of God. You're literally stepping into that place where Jesus looks upon that creation, Brent Ingersoll, and says, It is very good. Relax. Rest. There's nothing else to do here. Can you imagine? Like just, just just receive that for a second. Like those of you who are in Christ right now who you're a believer. As far as God is concerned. The Almighty, the one who formed you in your mother's womb, decided what color hair and eyes you were going to have, decided the shape of you and your talents and your propensities and your shortcomings and your strengths. If you are in Christ, he looks at you and says, there's nothing else we need to do here. That's where the soul finds rest. I think it was St. Augustine who said, The heart, you have made us as thou hast made us for thyself. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. True rest comes not simply from unplugging from the world, but plugging ourselves into Jesus. That's where real rest comes in, and you can start taking Saturday off from start to finish. If you don't know Jesus, your soul is still a slave. I remember uh, one of the most profound moments of my life, really, in the last probably ten years. August two thousand seventeen, I'd have been leading here for a while. We'd seen God do great things, and. I know all you think it, but I'm not. I don't have it all together. <laughs> I know you don't all think that. But I was in a, I was in a season though. No. I was in a season in August in like that summer where I was I was getting weary for the first time in like over. I'd been leading for I was all going into my sixth year. I was starting to get weary, like just tired. Like I started to feel like I don't know. I thought I would feel something different by now. Our church has grown. We're four locations. We're, we're reaching people. God's doing great things. I've got this and this and this is going right and that's going great and all this stuff. And I started to feel weary though. I was feeling weary for the first time really like in my ministry to that degree, like just discouraged. And I had no reason to other than dissatisfaction that all the things that I was accomplishing weren't accomplishing in me what I thought they would. And uh, jeepers. <laughs> I had a friend show up. Huh? And he came in and he said, hey man, I, I, had a, I had a dream about you. Good things always happen to me when someone has a dream. And uh, he came in and he's like, the Lord wants you to know something. Take it for what it's worth. He said, God says to you, son, I enjoy you. I know that doesn't sound like a big deal. It doesn't sound like much. That <laughs> changed my world. See, my, my, my tendency, because God made me a driver and a worker, and that's a good thing, but if I'm not harnessed into him, I end up trying to plug in and find validation and find that well done, it's good, it's finished. I try to find that in all the wrong ways, and I'd... I was starting to get discouraged because I wasn't getting that, that validation from things that I thought was going to give it to me. And then in one foul moment, one beautiful moment, God just breaks in and says, it's good. Good job. And God saw him who he made and he said, it's very good. And I cannot tell you the breath that filled my soul in that moment. And I tell you that to tell you this, that there is a rest that comes from the voice of the Father. And it is yours in Jesus. When you place your faith in Jesus, you now have become a son and daughter of God. And if you will just listen and let him speak into that place, he sets you free from slavery, like slavery to prove, slavery to protect. You know, maybe some of you, you don't care about approval. You just want to be safe. You just want to know it's going to end well. When you see Christ on the cross, how much more proof do you need that it's going to end well for you? If God did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how much more will he not graciously give us all things? In every single way, Jesus Christ speaks that it is finished to all of the inadequacy in your life. So I wanted to end today. I'm going to invite you to stand. Stand up. All of our locations stand up. And just, just nobody move. Nobody leave. And I just felt like, I, like the Lord wanted me to pray that whether it's in this moment or it's in a moment this week, that you would hear the voice of the Father speaking into those deficient places inside of you that is so weary and so tired and you would hear him look on that which he had made and you'd hear him say, it's finished. It's good. Breathe. So just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. Let me pray for you. Picture right now, just picture Jesus on the cross. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. Darkness had covered everything. And he's hanging there, beaten and bruised, bleeding out. There's more going on than just the physical thing. In the spirit, all of your sin, all of your shame, all of the perfection that you have not lived up to is right now on him. And hear him cry out over your life. It's finished. Your debt is paid. You don't have to work anymore. You don't have to work it off. You don't have to make it right. I've made it right. And now hear the voice of the Father as you stand in that truth. For the one who's worried about provision... Now we're going to make ends meet and can we do it? Hear the voice of God. It is good. I've got you. For the one who's just worried about finding that protection afraid of the forces in this world that can bring tragedy upon them here the voice of Jesus, cry out, it is finished. The Bible says in Colossians that he disarmed every ruler and authority, making a spectacle of them on the cross. All the things that you fear, fear him. And hear the voice of the Father. It's good, relax. If God is for you, who can be against you? And for those of you who are doers and strivers, trying to just make Make something matter of your life. Find meaning. Look at the cross and hear Jesus cry out. It is finished. And all of the glory of the Son that God said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased rests on you. Hear the approval of God the Father and receive it. Breathe it in right now. Father we receive it today. We thank you for the rest that comes from knowing you through Jesus Christ. And we receive the breath that is the Holy Spirit right now, filling our lungs, filling our souls. Lord, would you raise up a people who work not for rest but from rest? God, would your church, would your church, would King's Church in Halifax and King's Church in St. John, would we be known as the people who aren't burning out, who aren't anxious and aren't worried and upset about many things, but we have over and over and over again received the life that comes only from your voice, your word. We thank you for rest, Lord. We thank you for what you accomplished on the cross, Jesus, and we receive that it is good, that well done in Jesus' name. Everybody said,